0: Anyone who's listening who's thinking, yeah, I'm trying to figure out like what's my one thing, maybe be okay with the fact that it can be your thing for now and it might not be forever.
1: And that's okay. Burnout among podcasters is a common phenomenon. Some statistics show that as many as 75% or three quarters of the podcasts that have been started have pod faded, meaning they're no longer in production. I think this is because most podcasters are not only producing weekly episodes for the shows, but usually they're also running full-time businesses or working a variety of media jobs at the same time. It is a lot to manage, and you have to be really interested and invested in your topic to keep it going. This is Bridget Lyons, your host of Podcast Ally, and today I'm talking with someone who shut down her podcast for two whole years, looked like it was going to be a pod fade, and then she came back stronger than ever. Claire Pelletro is host of one of my absolute favorite podcasts, the Get Paid podcast. Like many hosts, she runs a business full time. Claire works as a Facebook and Instagram ad consultant, a teacher, and a conversion optimization expert. She spends her days writing about Facebook and Instagram ads, troubleshooting problems with her students, and managing campaigns for seven and eight figure business owners. Claire started to get paid because she loves talking about money, profit, loss, the whole shebang. She asked her guests how much they charge, how much they earn on her show, The Get Paid Podcast. In our interview, Claire joined me to spill the beans, including what happened when she took that two-year hiatus. She went into why she pressed pause on her podcast in the first place, how it felt back coming back two years later the difficult conversation that sparked the changes that made both her podcast and her business stronger than ever, the steps she took to make her podcast more impactful after the hiatus, and of course, I had to ask her about how she prepares to talk to our guests about subjects as delicate as how they actually get paid in their businesses. Let's dive in. Well, Claire, thank you so much for joining me for this conversation on Podcast Ally all about your podcast, which is my absolute number one favorite business podcast. Yes, I said it. (laughs) No one listening should get mad. Um, So Claire, I'm so, so excited to have you here to talk about the Get Paid Podcast podcast. So first of all, you are a Facebook and Instagram ads consultant primarily. So I'm wondering where you got the idea to talk about people's money and how much they charge and their packages on a podcast instead of doing the obvious thing and podcasting about Facebook advertising.
0: So the reason I decided to start this podcast just all about money was because i was extremely nosy about other people's businesses i continue to be i was at the very very beginning of my business journey like i had just been laid off and had kind of started dabbling in this freelancing stuff prior to getting laid off so i was like okay i'm going to go all into my business but i didn't know what to work on i didn't know how to get clients and i kept googling for those things and getting really vague results. Nothing truly step-by-step that I could just implement and follow. So I remember thinking, this was like the very beginning of my business. I wish there were a podcast just called like the pay your rent podcast, how to actually pay your rent. And that was my initial idea, the pay your rent podcast, which I eventually changed to the get paid podcast before I started recording and even launched it. But I just really wanted to know exactly what people were doing to get paid. So I start, started asking people, what are your packages? How much do you charge for that? What's included? How do you sell it? It came from a truly selfish you know, point of view, me just literally trying to get some advice. And this all coincided with just this rise in Facebook ads that you would see that talked all about six figures. So I really just wanted to figure out what business models, how much were people charging? What did they have to sell to actually cross the six figure mark? And that's exactly where the idea came from. It never occurred to me to start a podcast about Facebook ads because I would never listen to a podcast about Facebook ads. I still don't listen to the two or three popular podcasts about Facebook ads because I'm like, please kill me now. That's not the way I want to spend my downtime, if you will, because I listen to podcasts during my downtime. Sure, you can totally learn from them. I know there are lots of podcasts out there that teach you real actionable steps for things. That's not why I listen to podcasts.
1: I have to say as somebody who has thought about doing my own podcast for a long time, and you know my background is in public relations and now I do have a lot of podcast outreach, but that's not what this show is about either. And I can completely relate to what you're just saying. Although for me, it was more like, If I have to produce a weekly show talking about how to pitch and all of those things, like I will gouge out my own eyes. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) You can't make me. And there is somebody that I took a writing class from years and years ago who was talking about how the most interesting writing is when you're exploring the edges of something that you haven't quite mastered yet. And I think it's the same thing here where if it's something you've already mastered or you do day in, day out, it's just kind of boring to talk about it. (laughs) Totally. Also Facebook and
0: Instagram ads, because now they're just, they're all one thing. They're all run through the same platform. It's such a visual thing. I've listened to these podcasts that said, you know, so when you go up to the menu on the top left of your screen and I'm like, all right, make a video, you know, that's, that's just how I feel. There's only so much you can teach about ads without having to show very clearly the steps in a visual way. So I just thought kind of the same as you, like. I could maybe do this for three or four episodes and then what? I'm going to run out of ideas. And trust me, some of the people who I've talked to who run those podcasts, they have run out of ideas and they've pivoted their podcast completely.
1: I also think what you said about that there's no specific step-by-step instruction on how you actually make money is so true. I recently, and I'm not going to name the course, but I recently went back on like one of the early business building courses I had taken and my business has been around for 10 years. And it was remarkable to me looking back 10 years later, how much was missing from this program that had so much information in it. Really? Yeah. And I think what happens is because when you're down the line, there's so many things that you kind of take for granted, but I was looking at it as like maybe a resource for a friend of mine who was going to get started. And I thought this course doesn't really talk about search engine optimization at all. Like it talks about content, but it doesn't really explain why SEO matters or even what it is. It talked about the idea of lead magnets, but it wasn't quite clear like how those would fit with a funnel. Like it was like a lot of really good information, but there were these big holes. And I think that that's, you know, when you're talking about looking early on in the packaging front, you know, people talk about pricing. And it's like, well, price with the value is to the client. And you're like, what does that even mean? <laughs> I don't know what that means. Um, yeah. And so that's that's where you come in, right? You actually are able to go with people and look under the hood when somebody says like, oh, I do value-based pricing or I price based on this. And you're and I know I've heard you, you're like, okay, tell me exactly then what you're charging and, and how, which is so valuable. Oh, I'm glad. I'm glad you like it. The biggest thing I wanted to ask you about that is how do you kind of approach those conversations with your guests? I was wondering, do you prepare them ahead of time by letting them know I'm sure they must know because they listen to your show. I would hope that you ask these kinds of questions, but what kind of prep do you do to get them comfortable talking about the money?
0: I got to tell you, Bridget, I'm still not really comfortable asking those questions. And so that's why you'll notice that in some of the interviews, I do not ask them sometimes, or I don't ask like the really, really detailed ones. Sometimes I know ahead of time, what somebody is comfortable talking about. Maybe my relationship with them is such that I want them on the show anyway, and I want to talk to them about why they're not comfortable talking about it. So a perfect example is my episode with Erica Learmark, who I've known for years and who I have a close relationship with. And she was my coach, I believe, when I launched the podcast, and she was like, "Hell no, will I answer those questions?" So I knew, you know, straight up what was off limits, and we ended up talking about why that was off limits for her, and was perfect. Then there were other people who either I have pitched. No, typically, if if they've pitched me, we do have a form uh, that people must fill out in order to pitch me. Mm-hmm. And on it, it says, we typically ask about these things. Check what you're uncomfortable discussing. Um, so those people should know
1: mm-hmm. what
0: uh, what kind of questions I ask. But if I have pitched someone and I do my best to say, listen, this is what we talk about. And they say, sure, I'm going to come on. I still might feel uncomfortable asking the questions because maybe I really look up to them. And I don't want to, I don't know, ruffle any feathers, right? But I think I did that more in the beginning than I do now. I still catch myself doing it, and sometimes after a call, I go, "Ugh, why didn't I ask the hard question there?" Because I know my listeners want to know, but it's still just a a question of like, you know, this is just a pretty taboo topic, and uh, particularly profit, which is what I started asking about in 2019. I was not asking about profit before that point because you know, beginner business owner, as I was, I thought that, that like take home pay and profit was essentially your revenue minus expenses. So if I asked somebody, how much is your revenue and how much is your expenses? I assumed they were taking home the rest. Hmm. And then I learned, ah, that is not the case. (laughs) You know, what you pay yourself is actually another expense.
1: God, and that like a whole episode you could have on the <laughs> mindset it takes <laughs> to have that right shift in your own business. I mean, that's a big thing that people struggle with a lot. Yeah, that is a big a taboo. First of all, talking about money. And then I think even not even profit, but talking about revenue versus personal income, because yes. we all know we talk about those six or those seven figure launches, but then you start to learn how much money people put into their advertising campaigns And I guess since you're on the inside of that, you see that a lot firsthand, right? Where it's like, is that what they're actually making or what is six to seven figure revenue can mean a lot of things for people's finances. It could be zero for you, you know, if you're putting out enough into staff costs and advertising. Absolutely. Yeah. Staff is
0: always the biggest, always the biggest expense, much more than advertising, but then advertising really eats into those profits as well. This is what I get from my guests. I only know about how much people are spending on ads when I work on their ads. I have no idea how much they're spending on their team or even how much revenue is coming in from projects or programs that I have nothing to do with, right? Because a launch is very different from a mastermind. Mm -hmm. So most of their revenue is probably coming from a mastermind, but I only see the launch revenue in the ads manager, or at least the revenue that came from ads. Um, but what I what I have noticed is that anytime somebody says in the form I don't want to talk about take home pay or I don't want to talk about XYZ, I get more nervous about talking about any of it. Because unless someone is a complete open book, that means they have some issues with sharing these numbers or or they're trying to maintain a certain perception and I don't want to, you know, steal them of that perception that they're trying to create but I also want to say fuck perception I don't know if I can curse on this show but you know just and that's what that's the whole point of it is that this is the internet and marketing is all about perception and I want to look at the behind the scenes and the reality the stark reality as I say in my intro. <laughs>
1: I mean, but don't we all appreciate that, that you do that because it's so rare unless you work in this sort of way with a client where you get, and even then, like you're saying, most of us who work with clients in these ways get like little windows and not the right. full picture, full financial picture. And it's just it's a lot harder. Like i noticed one thing that you've talked about in a few times is like how you don't really love the membership model for yourself and i was wondering like is that from working with clients or is that from talking to people on your podcast because <laughs> you've talked a lot about switching or been advised to switch over maybe to a membership model but you've kind of see how there is so much churn and it's hard to sustain those and i was getting so curious like is that from the podcast or from your work or from like a mastermind or something like that?
0: Yeah, it's really funny. Everyone and their mother thinks that I should do a membership model, and like you could you won't catch me dead doing that because that actually mostly came from my experience prior to launching the podcast in my old job and then working on the back end of people's campaigns. Typically, when I was running ads, so that would go into some kind of funnel that would fill up a membership site, I was just trying to make up for the people that had left the same month. You know, we were just trying to almost maintain recurring revenue numbers at the same place instead of growing it. Because people just churn so quickly. I did get a lot of details about that from the fizzle guys. Mm -hmm. when I had a number of them on the show at different points and then a few other people who worked on the back end of memberships as well. So it just reinforced these theories that I had. When I look at the math about a membership site. If the average time that somebody stays in a membership site is going to be anywhere from like three to six months, that's on average. So that means you have people who churn or who quit after a month and people who stay in for a year or more, right? But if it is three to six months, and let's say you're charging, even if you're charging a hundred bucks, So for six months, you're getting paid $100 a month from somebody, that's $600. I would much rather charge over $1,000 for something that someone gets lifetime access to because that LTV, that lifetime value is just always so much higher than let me keep churning out content or doing what I have to do to get this person to stick around when the reality is no one wants recurring charges on their cards. I don't care what it's for. My opinion is nobody wants it. I just signed up for Disney Plus. I don't want it, but I did it. Will <laughs> I eventually
1: cancel it? Probably. I am with you on the membership model. Well, and that's also because I'm a little bit of a commitment phobe. Like the idea of locking myself <laughs> into that yes. kind of model with somebody says the person launching a podcast. <laughs> no, no, no. You can always pod fade. You
0: can always pod fade and, and your episodes will live on an eternity and people will still get value from them.
1: Yeah. But that idea of it's not just them having to commit to you, it's you having to commit to them and create recurring value every month just sounds exhausting.
0: Yep. It absolutely (laughs) is.
1: So one of the things I've been really curious about is whether or not you've tried any pricing experiments as a result of an interview you've done. I have personally done so, and I was trying to rack my brain to think about who Who it was with that you had an interview with that made me think I'm going to try something with my pricing, and unfortunately, I couldn't. I I might go pull through and see if I can find that, but I know that I've heard little tidbits on your show where I'm like, oh, I'm going to try that, and I'm a person who is always playing with my pricing and packaging. Like I'm not real consistent with them, and so I'm curious if you've ever done that. Have you ever changed your pricing or launched a new package as a result of something you learned doing the podcast? Oh yeah,
0: absolutely. I completely changed the model of one of my programs after interviewing Brooke Castillo in uh, 2019. So Brooke, if you don't know her, she runs the Life Coach School, which has two main offerings. The time that I interviewed her, I think was a 17 dollars or $18,000 $18, certification program. And the other one was, speaking of membership sites, a $300 a month membership to like what is called self-coaching scholars. So we talked about, and and I actually used to work on her ads. And so I remember thinking one time, God, Brooke charges $300 a month for this thing. Why am I so up in arms about pitching something for 747 (laughs) that they get lifetime access to? So We talked on the show. I mean, obviously I knew that she had tons and tons of members in this thing and the value of it. But what really struck me is the fact that this is not, it is a membership site in the sense that they do keep putting out new content, but that's not why people are there. They're in there for the coaching. And something that I had struggled with, I have this program
1: called the Ad Consultant Incubator. Mm-hmm. Bridget, you took it back, I back did. in the day. I did. I think I was one of your very first groups in it. You yeah.
0: sure were. Yeah. So, So this is a program that teaches people how to run ads for clients, but then also how to run the business of being an ad consultant, because it's a little bit different from just being, you know, a social media marketer or a content marketer, you know, you're handling people's money. So there's a lot involved. So I kept on raising the price of that. And it was just like a, started as six weeks, then went to eight, then went to 12. But every time the program would end, I think before I talked to Brooke, the longest that it had been was 12 weeks. People wanted more, but Mm -hmm. I couldn't figure out a way to upsell them in a way that they could essentially afford. And it would make sense for my time. So what I decided to do is actually drop the price of the incubator because prior to talking to Brooke, it was $5,000 for these 12 weeks. And then there wasn't ongoing support after that with me. Okay. I decided to drop the price to, I think it was 400 bucks a month or 2,400 for six months, right? So doubling the length of it. Reducing the price, but I also cut down my availability in it. I took away some of these features like setting people up with test clients, which was very, very time consuming and also kind of put my reputation on the line a little bit.
1: Yeah, that can be risky. That's so generous, but that is a risk.
0: (laughs) Well, so it made sense at this lower price point to take that away. What I also noticed is that because people were working with their test clients, they had no incentive to go out and do the work to get the clients, which I also mm. teach. So, what I did is I also offered my alumni of the program to come back in for $300 a month so that they could just get access to the coaching because we're talking about a Facebook group and weekly calls where people are like, This is what's happening with my clients' ads. What do I do? Or, you know, somebody filled out my inquiry form. So, I don't know how much to charge them. This, the value of this program comes from the almost in real-time coaching, not really the modules. The models are great, but the value comes from the coaching. And that's what I learned from Brooke in that episode, that that's what will make somebody pay ongoing. And in fact, so that was May, 2019, when I launched that program with that model. And almost a year later, I'm still working with a lot of my alumni and some of the new people, because for the alumni price, remained $300 a month. And that just became a no brainer payment for them because they always knew they had me in their back pocket or they had somebody who was great with ads in their back pocket.
1: Yeah. It's like they're, it's getting mentorship, right? And that Knowing that they have access to somebody to ask a question when they run into something sticky. And I'm, you know, I'm still in that Facebook group. I'm not as active in there, but I do definitely see the amazing generosity of also some of the earlier members too, who really took off with it. And. Oh yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. That's the alumni group, which, because I'll tell you, this was a mistake. FYI. In the beginning, you know, I had all these issues about charging a lot of money, so I created this alumni group that I never really said I would be a part of, but that people could use to keep getting their questions answered amongst each other. The only problem is that group now made it so that a number of people were like, well, why do I really need to pay Claire money? I'm getting what I need from this group. Ah. But it was on the sales page, so I was not going to shut that down. Some people probably would shut it down, but
1: that would feel out of integrity for me. Yeah. Oh my gosh. This whole thing is so fascinating.
0: (laughs) Don't do that. Don't offer lifetime access to a, like alumni group. If just ever, I mean, you might not realize when you want to sell more to those people, but they would probably be paying me if they weren't getting what they needed there.
1: Gosh. And well, that's, I mean, that's such a tricky thing too, is I've I've had the same sort of problem with trying to figure out what I can upsell people who clearly like, I have people like Bridget, I just want to keep working with you. Okay. But on what, like, there's Mm -hmm. always this moment where my brain hits a wall. So I think it's amazing that your podcast has become a way for you to do some almost brainstorming or get some insights and ahas for yourself. That's really incredible. Just one last thing I'll say about
0: that group. We have these instincts to give and give and give and give. And we think like that, that that's what we're going to need in order to sell. And maybe that was a, a big reason people bought the program at the highest price point that it was at, but mm-hmm. I never needed to say lifetime access. I could easily have said six months and then, then we'll see. So like just whenever yeah. you're thinking, oh, I'll give people lifetime access to X, Y, and Z, just maybe check that. And is yeah. it really necessary?
1: I have been working on not overstuffing my offers in general. Mm. I just think that's such a big lesson in general is like, I just, I'm launching a similar version to something like this. I'm beta testing it and it's teaching people how to do podcast outreach for their clients. So I like to joke that my mission right now is to end the epidemic of bad pitches that people Uh. are getting. (laughs) And for a while I was like, why would I train up my competitors? And then I started talking to podcasters and what they were saying is that they're getting so many bad pitches now that a lot of them are just like overwhelmed and not looking at any pitches anymore. And I'm like, all right, I got to train yeah. up my competitors because if this ends, none of us are going to have a business anymore. Yeah. <laughs> that sounds a little dire. We're doing fine. But <laughs> anyway, but I, I say all that because I've been working on this program and I just, I did a really quick interview process with some people saying, are you interested in doing this? Are you, you know, somebody who is either in PR or high level of virtual assistant or something, or do you have someone on your team? And when I interviewed them, I just realized that some of the things that I thought I was going to put in this program, like they didn't really need, like I ended up being able to strip away some of the parts that I was really nervous about. Like, how do I teach people the messaging and all of that? And they're like, no, no, we're good. We'll have a conversation. We'll figure that out. We don't need you to do that. And I was like, what you, you don't what? Okay. (laughs) It was really eye opening to me to have those conversations. So think it's a a good point not to overstuff, but we are getting so far off the topic of the podcast. I I mean, that's what you get when you get me, so. (laughs) Well, and it's hard because I feel like I could talk about this kind of business model stuff all day long. That's why I started this podcast, (laughs) so people can (laughs) do that. That's right. Although I feel like I was asking myself before we got on the phone today, like, would I – right now be open to going on your show and having you asking me all these questions. <laughs> about mm. And I think it's interesting because for me, the answer is like, right now it's harder because things are sort of in a flux for me. And like when why, they feel,
0: But why does that stop you from talking about it?
1: Right. Like there's moments where I feel like I have this really great story about my business or what things are doing. And I feel like I, in my own head, know the ending. where right now I'm sort of in the middle, I've been in the middle of this change and I think there's that. It's so hard to talk about it when you're in the middle of it. It feels really raw and hard. Oh, it might
0: it might feel that way. I can totally totally see that. but if I can just say that people love to hear about that because they're in the middle of it too. Sure, they might like to hear um, the resolution. Of the story as well, so that they can really learn from it. But just, I mean, I feel like we're almost always in that moment of change. So it's just something to think about. I know.
1: I know. I was just thinking about that. That must feel so vulnerable in those moments. And then you've done those. One of your seasons, you did like a Where Are They Now with your earlier mm-hmm. guests. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was such a wonderful idea because our pricing and our money, like it's not static. It's always changing and shifting, even for people who I think seem like really have got it all figured out, you know, but there's always the next experiment or learning.
0: Do you, did you know that most of my podcast guests, I would say- Most of them from seasons one and two, because that those occurred in 2015 and 2016, they're not doing the same thing anymore. So it was actually a little bit difficult for me to fill those slots because everything was so different. And I mostly just wanted to hear the evolution of the business that we initially learned about. People went crazy over those episodes because uh, they really did get the evolution and heard about how things were different. I remember one person had said, oh, I will never do X, Y, Z, and now they are 100% doing that. Um, So we talked about why and what was the change. Uh, But yeah, just for anyone who's listening, who's thinking, I'm trying to figure out like what's my one thing, maybe be okay with the fact that it can be your thing for now and it might not be forever. And that's Okay.
1: I love that. There are so many lessons in hearing that. And, and are you talking about people having completely different offers and business models? I mean, I know some of the people you've had have like new, even new names for their companies in models. I'm
0: talking more of like they used to serve one audience, mm-hmm. like small business owners, and now they serve network marketers. Or I mean, I guess you could argue that they're the same or not even network marketers because network marketers are the ones. They actually serve more B to C, okay. you know, like totally different, Yeah, um, different. And, and one was related to law and now something's related to fitness. I mean, totally unrelated and that's great. That's fine. I remember listening to some of these interviews and think, or as I was doing them, I'm thinking, wow, this person has it figured out. They've done it, man. How come I haven't done it like that yet? Oh, but everything changes and that's it, nothing wrong with that.
1: Yeah. We don't have to be this one thing.
0: Not at all. I'm one of the few people who I know who started with Facebook ads and five to six years later, I'm still doing it because I actually love ads, but most people cannot remain so niche for so long. They mm-hmm. get bored and that's totally fine. I mean, that's precisely why I did not start a podcast about this topic. Right. Um, <laughs> But but yeah, it's just, it's just so common. And it's one thing to switch niches, business models, whatever, because you feel like you can't make the first one work and therefore you're going to go and teach business building because we learn a lot about business building as we try our first business, right? We really do. And so I'm not even, you know what, I'm not even going to like rag on those people because if you are really good at explaining like how to set up ConvertKit and you learned how to do it when you were trying. Oh, like my friend, Tony, he's a perfect example. He learned Facebook ads from me while he was doing a subscription spice box business. And that business did not turn into what he was hoping it would. He didn't enjoy it, but he had learned ads. And now he runs an incredibly successful ad agency. If anyone needs to hire an ads person, you got to go to Tony, by the way. And it's just, you know, so it's not like, oh, his thing didn't work. So therefore he's a failure and he can't have another business. Not at all. But he just found something that he enjoys more slash is very successful.
1: Yeah. I think there's something really brave too about allowing yourself to have those evolutions. I think I'm more in your boat. Like I focus more on the podcast outreach, but I've done PR my entire career. In fact, people look at my life and they're like, Oh, Bridget, you're such a risk taker. I'm like, really? (laughs) I mean, I left college, went into PR agencies, then like went out into like, I don't feel like it's very brave, but okay. I think the big pivots, but you always, the grass is always greener, right? You always admire the thing that you're not doing. So I think that's natural. I would love to talk a little bit about your hiatus. So before we got on the phone, you know, I was looking into your feed and I was totally shocked that you, when you had a hiatus, which I remember at the time, because I listened to your podcast from the very beginning. So I knew when it went on hiatus and I knew when you came back, but I was shocked that it was two and a half years. It just... (laughs) It just seemed like, whoa, you know, looking back, it's like a blink in the eye, you know? And I think that was what, 2016 to 2019?
0: Definitely. Yep. July, 2016 was when the last episode aired before the hiatus. And then January, 2019, it came back. I brought it back.
1: Yeah. I think that's where I want to start. Like what made you decide to bring it back after so long?
0: Do you want the the messy story?
1: <laughs> well, I know that you shared it on your own podcast. So if you're open to talking about it here, it'd be great. Yeah.
0: Sure. The reason I um, put the podcast on hiatus was because my first and only at the moment daughter was born and motherhood hit me like a ton of bricks. Mm. And I batched a bunch of episodes before I left For on maternity leave. But the thing that I had noticed about my podcast was that I didn't feel that it was really tied to revenue. Whereas before I was podcasting, I was consistently blogging and that was growing my list and all that jazz. So I decided, maybe without a lot of research, that podcasting was not helping me pay the bills. Mind you, I had a sponsor who helped me pay for the podcasting bills, like basically my editor and my show notes person. Um but it wasn't paying me for my time. Uh and it wasn't really growing the business in any significant way. So I just never went back to it. Once I got back to work, I worked very part-time for a while and I just focused on selling, which was this thing that I had barely done in the first year and a half, 2 years of my business. I mostly just created content then, but didn't really put a lot of offers out there. So In early 2018, I got a group of women together who I knew online fairly well, and we decided to meet up in person. So we had this mastermind weekend in New York, and the very first night, it was my turn in the hot seat. I didn't really expect this to come out, but what somebody ended up saying to me was that she felt like I had no brand, which was totally true. Wow. (laughs) You're yeah. like so calm about that. That like hurts me in the gut to hear something. <laughs> um, listen, I ran away from my hot seat
1: crying. Okay. okay? Not it's calm not, was, now in
0: retrospect. <laughs> <laughs> um, that night was the best. That hot seat was the best thing that has ever happened to my business, FYI, um, mm-hmm. because of what came out of it. So, but I ran away crying. I hid. And my friend, the only person who I really knew in person ahead of time was this woman, Kira Hug, who also has a great podcast. She came to find me and, you know, we were talking about, I, I basically said, this this person is, is right. I have been hiding, you know, I'm not really sure why, but I really have been hiding. And she said two things to me. She said, one, you know, you can hire people to help you with the branding thing, right? Because she had just worked with somebody and it had transformed her business. And then she also said, why don't you bring back the podcast? Because that really was the most you. That's how I got to know you. That's, you know, it's the most you you've ever been in your business. And so I made the decision early 2018 to bring back the show, but I didn't actually do it for a year.
1: Wow. Oh my gosh. So first of all, I actually had the pleasure of interviewing Kira. So people should probably check out my interview with Kira and Rob. Just a little plug there.
0: (laughs) Yes, you should.
1: (laughs) Yes, she is amazing. And I think that that was such a good insight and good advice because I think a lot of the times when people think about branding themselves, it's like it feels like it all has to be this one message and very integrated. But the fact that of you and your kind of your own voice coming through through the podcast, I think that's absolutely true. Mm and resonant. It's like, it's not just an interview show, but there is a lot of like your personality really comes through a lot in that podcast.
0: Yeah, it it definitely does. And I knew that I wasn't doing a good job of talking about me and my business and even showing off my personality more Mm -hmm. on my show. So the reason it took me such a long time to bring back the show after I decided that I was going to was because I really wanted to make sure that I was doing it in a more intentional way. So I wanted to diversify a little bit my my guest lineup because I realized in 2018 that the show had this hashtag podcast so white problem. It was really embarrassing once I took a look at uh, who, the, who I had interviewed and how I had almost no people of color on it whatsoever. So that was one thing I knew I I wanted to change. I also didn't want to work with a sponsor again, the way I had been. I I wanted this thing to be a business builder. So I had to put some things in place in my business first to actually make that happen. The other thing is that at some point in 2018, as maybe many of you listening (laughs) did, I started listening to Dax Shepard's podcast, The Armchair Expert.
1: And this guy,
0: do you listen to that show
1: or have you, Bridget? I actually haven't ever listened to it, but now I feel like I have to.
0: (laughs) Well, it's interesting. Almost to the point of being extremely annoying, he interrupts his guests and he talks about himself a shit ton. Oh my gosh. And it's interesting. He's interesting. He has lived a very interesting life. But I just started to see like, oh, wow! you can make this a conversation. You can talk about yourself. You can also ask really, really, really intrusive questions because he does that. Not about money, not really, but about the behind the scenes of of acting, of Hollywood, of things like that. I mean, it's a good show if you can get over the fact that he just interrupts so much. (laughs) But I loved his show for a while. And I f- said, this is the kind of interviewer I wanna be. And so I spent a lot of time listening to his show and um, then just getting, you know, when it was time to like bring it back and and find my guests and record. And I just got serious about how I was going to put it all together to, to make sure I was checking all the boxes, showing off me and my personality, talking more about my work and my area of expertise and even potentially giving unsolicited advice About ads or marketing. And then also just, you know, like pitching guests who were not white, going out Mm -hmm. and finding people of color who had their own podcasts or were on podcasts who I could get to know and then pitch them and really give them a reason why. Because, you know, this is what's tricky about my show is, and another reason why it was like so terribly white for a long time is that most of my, online business friends, you know, your business buddies, who I would spend time on Voxer with or in Facebook groups with, uh, they almost all were white, are white even still. Um, so they knew what my show was about. I had more of a relationship with them to say, hey, like, this is, this is what I want to ask you. How do you feel about that? Whereas when you're pitching somebody who doesn't know you, regardless of their race, you have to make a case for why they mm-hmm. should spill all the juicy details with you. So I just started having to do that with like a lot of people who I had no existing relationship with in order to have a podcast that was not so white anymore.
1: Yeah. I mean, this is a reckoning that a lot of podcasters have been having, I would say for the last year, particularly. There's also a lot of podcasts that are Mostly male saying, like, oh, we never have any women on our shows, <laughs> um, which is a, like a completely different problem entirely. But I think there is this reckoning about diversity and podcasting and looking at people's, you know, guests and realizing, wow, there's just a lot of sameness here. And it is really interesting to think about how your topic in particular makes it harder because, right, you're going to somebody who you, who might not know you as well. And then being like, and I'm going to ask you all about your money. (laughs) I think it's, it's kind of amazing that, so when you went on hiatus, it was like, you didn't, you might not have come back at all. Did you, you didn't have plans to stop. Did you you just kind of faded?
0: Yeah. I think by the time my daughter was born, I was kind of like, eh, I'm over this. Okay, I didn't, there were a number of episodes in season three, which was the one that aired Right before she was born and after, because I'd bash (laughs) them, but I didn't love. I had chosen those people because I thought I can run ads and target their followers about this episode, or like they're just big names that people will listen to. Some of them I was bored out of my mind, Bridget, because again I didn't have a relationship with them. I kind of felt like, oh, I just have to ask them more boilerplate questions, or they just barely gave up anything.
1: So when you came back, it sounds like you had more of a purpose for your podcast, not just in the content, but also what it would do for your business. You'd spend some time actually thinking about the kind of host you wanted to be. It's like you developed your skills really as a podcaster in that time.
0: I don't know okay. if I developed my skills because I didn't do anything,
1: but I thought a lot. <laughs> no, listening <laughs> to podcasts and analyzing what you like is totally what it, to me, is skill development. That's one of the things. Tara and I it. actually Tara McMullen, we did an interview and she talks about how she views her morning time listening to podcasts as part of her work day. Mm. Because that's how she learns how to become a better podcaster. So I totally consider all your time listening to X Shepherd being work hours.
0: Okay, cool. I'll take <laughs> yeah, it.
1: You should pay yourself for those. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I think that's like really fascinating that like energy that you brought back and intentionality in into the podcast. And so now. That you're back you've been on air for I think longer than you were your first run
0: uh you know what we'll be getting to that no you're right you Mm -hmm. are right because it was only a year the first run it was like June to June to the following July Mm -hmm. and then yeah now it's been a year and a, a handful of months
1: Yeah. How does it feel for you now at this point then having come back with that? Like, are you feeling still energized and interested in bringing on more people? Are you starting to fade off again? I know that you're, as we record, you're pregnant again, so I don't know if that's affecting things at all.
0: It's very interesting. I think I have a love-hate relationship with my podcast. What I keep finding is that my favorite interviews are the ones with people who I'm really myself with. Mm -hmm. I already have some kind of existing relationship with. So just this morning, I was listening to my own episode. It came out last Thursday so I could write like an Instagram post about it. The guest is Andrea Jones. We just like, we just like shot the shit, you know, about business, about how she met her husband on YouTube, about like, I just, kept on digging about that one story about meeting her husband on YouTube, which was somebody who I don't know that well, I'm not going to say such ridiculous things and maybe hijack the conversation to talk about something silly or just like non-business related. So sometimes I find that like, I look at my calendar and I'm like, oh, okay. I have a couple interviews today And I don't know these people very well, Um, even if I've listened to them on a show. But to be honest, I don't really prep that way. So it—it's sometimes it's about tiptoeing around the questions or trying to find the good story. And that takes a lot of effort, even if I'm just sitting here at my computer. I don't know about you, Bridget, but I feel like you don't have to work hard to find the story with me because I'm just giving them to you, right? (laughs) Yeah. I mean, just to toot my own horn a little bit. And lots of other people who have podcasts, they make great podcast guests. Right. But people who do not have podcast guests sometimes do not. And so there have been interviews. I interviewed Kendall Summerhawk recently. I didn't have to lift a finger. I swear we could have talked for days. And because she just gave really good podcast. Whereas others are more of, you know, it's just more work. I'm kind of at the point where like I have this whole backlog of people who have pitched me, but I don't know most of them. And also my audience has started clamoring a little bit for more of my own solo episodes, just based on the feedback I get whenever I do put out a solo episode, which is not often. So because I'm in the lead up to my maternity leave and because I have a lot fewer available working hours at this point due to global pandemics, et cetera, I'm going to actually do probably a batch of about 20 solo episodes and take a break from interviewing for a while to listen to more podcasts, learn about more people who I become obsessed with and then have real things to talk about when they come on my show and also be able to just do the work in my schedule and not have to work with somebody else's. You know what I'm saying?
1: Yeah. It's been really interesting for me because now that I've started my own podcast, I can relate to what you're saying so much more than before when I was just on the other side of the table, um, pitching guests to podcasts. Because I recently did my first interview with someone that I didn't know before I interviewed him. And it was really hard for me to (laughs) prepare for the interview and kind of get comfortable and into a flow with it. And I just have a much greater understanding and empathy for what that feels like. So that's actually a problem that I've been like chewing on a lot of like, okay, so what do you do about that? Because I know there are some podcasts who say, well, then I'm just not going to have guests that I don't know. And I think this is my own bias, but there's a little voice in me, but like you could really miss out on, and maybe they don't care, you know, really miss out on making a connection with somebody that would be really great for you, the podcast host. And so I feel like there's got to be some other way to facilitate and like make that whole thing easier. But I'm just, I don't know. I Now I feel that pain a little bit more <laughs> than I understand. I definitely didn't quite understand it before I was podcasting myself.
0: I have definitely had interviews that I didn't know the person from Adam and they came on and we talked for 90 minutes and we were best friends after and like still are, you know, or, or just like, you know, really good friends or people who I, I love and respect. And my business does not overlap with their business at all, basically, but it's rare, but it certainly happens. I don't know how to facilitate that though. I mean, I'm the person yeah. I'm thinking of pitched my show. She was a listener. She knew what was up. Yeah. She So I had no problems asking her all of the questions. But the reason, we can get into this more at another time, but the reason her pitch was
1: like a definite yes for me was because she told great stories in her pitch. Oh yeah. The personality part of pitching. It I think that's a big part of it. When I try to teach people, I'm always like, put, put some personality in it. Like let them, <laughs> you're not a robot. You're, you're not an algorithm pitching. you know, <laughs> pitching a person. Yeah. I think there's a lot to that. Wow. Well, I am personally, I think really intrigued to see where you go with your solo episodes. That is something that is completely intimidating to me. <laughs> mm. I, I don't know how long are they going to be? Cause your other episodes <laughs> were kind of long, weren't they like 40 minutes to an hour? So I assume they will be around that length. You know, I I really don't know, but I'm also not attached to that anymore. Like the the point
0: is to just share my thoughts. The one podcaster who does all, not all, but mostly solo episodes who I love is Courtney Sanders. Her show is just called The Courtney Sanders Show. I think she's CourtneyLSanders.com. And I pitched her to the podcast because I was just obsessed with her. She says she just sits down in front of the microphone and talks. And I'm like, where do you get the confidence? So whereas what I have to do, I remember sending my first solo episode to my OBM and saying, is this good at all? And she was like, it's a little rambly, but it's good. What I find that works for me now with solo episodes, just tip for you, is breaking it down into some bullet points not Mm -hmm. even bullet points, but just like the five things or the whatever, like what are the big points you want to hit on? And then that just helps the listener organize so that you can say, okay, so these are the seven things I did in 2019 to reach whatever my uh, revenue was at that point. I think I have that podcast episode and I figured it out first. What are the things that mattered and what didn't go well? But I didn't write it. I didn't script it but I knew what I was going to hit on. And that prevented me from that rambling first try.
1: Right. So you have an outline to go by, but not necessarily a script.
0: Right. And so I put
1: on my calendar to prep the episode and then to record it. That's really smart scheduling time for both of those. Yeah. It'll be really interesting to see how all that evolves for you and kind of how that changes and adapts to what you're doing. I also think that because you are doing more integration between your podcast and selling, you know, people working with you and and talking about lead magnets and things that that's probably going to lend itself really nicely to the business case for the podcast as well.
0: Oh yes, definitely. The big change that I made was that I made myself the advertiser, the yeah. sponsor and I put like ads to my evergreen funnels. And it was like, when I brought back the show, you could tell that some listeners had no idea what I actually did because they suddenly started opting in and buying at this super high rate. They liked me already because they had been listeners of the show from days of yore. And as soon as they heard what they could pay me for, they did. I love that. That is such a good lesson. (laughs) Always let people know how they can pay you, right? (laughs) Oh, yeah. I mean, I I had to tell one of my friends once, you know you don't say the name of your business in your intro. Like, you might talk about what you do on the show, but I have no idea what your business is or where to find you. Get that in the intro. (laughs) And they did.
1: You know, that's actually, so when I do messaging and interview tips with my clients, that's one of the things I mention to them is often they go on a podcast and they have an hour-long interview. And they never mention the name of their business until the very end, when the host asks where somebody can find you. And mm. I'm like, but people are listening to the show, and so instead of just saying my business, like not constantly dropping, like in the Democratic debates, your URL every time you, can. <laughs> but like You're right, that's true. Just like once or twice, in naming your company. So when you say my business, you you know, for me, I could say Podcast Ally, or you know you. <laughs> That's Um, true.
0: And over at com, you really can go and learn. I mean, I don't know how to drop that in because my name is my business. My business is my name, blah, blah, blah. But no, that's a really, really good point.
1: Yeah, name that shit early. Yeah, because people are listening and they're typing things into their browser. Like the podcast conversion is different than what we're used to with a a click through on an ad or a blog post or something like that. And so it's important, like people might not remember from the intro that was 40 minutes ago, what, when they had that moment of like, oh my gosh, I need to look this up. So I think that's really all good uh, messaging tips. Well, I know that you have given so much time and this has been a really awesome conversation for me and I hope for everybody listening. Is there anything that you feel like you'd like to wrap up with that you've kind of learned about podcasting throughout this whole journey and process that you've had that you'd like to share as we wrap up? I think the biggest lesson that I've learned and learning now,
0: it's it's an ongoing process, is that I don't have to do something the same way all the time. I can change it up. I can go away for as long as I need to. I can have another break, which we did at the beginning of the year. I think we put out, I don't know, four, eight weeks of older episodes that I was so nervous about doing, Bridget. Like, oh my God, what are my listeners going to think? But I needed the break in order to catch up. I can start doing solo episodes. I can go back to interview shows. Like the the bottom line is, and and I recently like read a review, uh, an iTunes review about how my show was great, but I was an awkward interviewer. And I like basically lost it because the truth is running a podcast, especially a long form interview podcast is hard work. And people, including this reviewer, who was like, I love the show, They get so much out of it and it's free. (laughs) So you do whatever. I'm really trying to hold back on the profanity right now. You really do whatever you need to do for as long as you want themes, no themes, seasons, no seasons, total breaks. You don't have to explain to people why you're on a break, which is something I didn't do for like the last one. You can just do you and put out the work you want to put out. I think that's enough. Some people would be like, no, you have to be consistent. Are you going to lose listeners or blah, blah, blah? And I'm like, no. If people really like the show, they're going to tune in when I do it, however I do it.
1: Yeah. And I am like exactly a case study for that. Like you came back after your hiatus and I was like, Claire, I'm so glad you've started again in an email, right? Like so excited. And I was still subscribed. So it was like, it just showed right back up on my feed. And I had like a little gift waiting for me when I... (laughs)
0: You know, I was shocked at my initial download numbers because I think the same thing happened. People don't even really know how to delete a podcast or unsubscribe from a podcast, and if you're not getting the, uh, if you're not getting any episodes, you you just forget,
1: right? So- why bother? Why would you? I don't even understand why you would do that. <laughs> I'm only going to delete something that I don't want to see anymore. Yeah, exactly. So it
0: was, it was like this treat and most people were like, Ooh, and some people are like, Oh, I don't, I don't even remember who she is. And they stopped listening according to the numbers.
1: Yeah. Which, which will happen. I mean, that's just a part of putting out content. True. Oh, I love that. So let's see, I wrote this down. So you don't have to do the podcast the same way. You can just mix it up, do what you need to do in the moment shift to involve it as your needs change. I think that's really great. Thank you so much, Claire.
0: No problem. This has been so much fun. I never get to talk about this kind of stuff. I mean, maybe a little bit on my own show. Most of the time people are like, so how do you run a Facebook ad? I'm like, well, let me tell you, but this has been great.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Well, you can check out Claire's podcast, the Get Paid podcast at clairepels.com forward slash podcast, or wherever you listen to and subscribe to podcasts. So I definitely recommend that you go take a listen. Um, Claire has amazing interviews and she also goes into a lot more of the details in this journey um, in her solo episodes. So those are a good place if you're really curious about all of the decisions she's made through this time and how it interweaves with her business model. You can also find out a lot more info about Claire's work as a Facebook and Instagram ads consultant at the same place, clairepels.com. So I encourage you to go check her out. Thanks, Claire. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much for tuning in to my interview with Claire Pelletreau of the Get Paid Podcast. Before you head out today, I just wanted to remind you that on Thursday, a mini-sode will be dropping on how to pitch the Get Paid Podcast. And Claire and I have a very candid conversation during that mini-sode about one of her biggest pet peeves when it comes to being pitched a guest submission, and I actually give her some advice that she changes her process on the fly. So that could be a fun thing to eavesdrop on if you're at all curious about best practices in not just pitching a podcast, but also setting yourself up to accept submissions from guests themselves. And if you are enjoying this podcast, please do leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts and subscribe. It really helps a new show like ours get found by other people who might. get a lot of benefit out of it. All right. Well, I'll see you next week with our next episode. Thank you so much.